Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Here we are at midweek. Thank you for letting us be part of your day. We're going to talk markets a little bit later with Rich Morrison with Diversified Services. We're going to get into the whole prevent plant acre situation, cover crops, and uh, everything. Uh, just a different year this year for sure, and lots of questions. We're going to talk with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. And also today, an update on African swine fever in China, in Vietnam. What's uh, the latest on that? Uh, Are they any closer to getting it under control? What's the threat uh, to the United States? And uh, what precautions are we taking to keep African swine fever out of this country? We'll talk with the chief veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council, Liz Wagstrom, later on in today's program. So glad you're with us. Let's start things off by talking with Todd Neely, reporter for DTN. Todd, thank you for being with us. Um, these are not great times for the ethanol industry, and a lot of them are, are starting to take some action, being forced to take some action that they don't want to. Yeah, yeah, Mike, thanks for having me. Um, you know, yesterday, uh, Green Plains, Inc., which is based in Omaha, uh, saw its stock price drop by about 12%. Uh, and that came after it announced that it was suspending its quarterly cash dividend. Um, you know, the company has been, uh, for the past couple of years, working on cutting back expenses. You know, they've sold ethanol plants. Uh, there's even some suggestion based on last month's uh, earnings call uh, that they're considering other ethanol assets to be to be sold as well. And so, um, yeah, it went, uh, you know, last, I think it was first quarter of last year, uh, Green Plains still had been turning a profit, and uh, the last go-around, it, it's become a negative. And so um, I suspect we're going to, you know, there's probably a lot more of this going on out there. There's a lot of private ethanol companies that you don't see a lot of information about, um, and margins continue to plummet, you know, as we see the, the corn price that's been, been going up as a result of weather and all these other factors. And so it's uh, it's made a difficult situation in ethical in ethanol just that much more difficult. And as our ethanol, as our corn price goes up, some ethanol producers even starting to maybe look at uh, South American corn uh, as an alternative. <clears throat> yeah, and it's really interesting because when you think back, uh, you know, we had a company out of Iowa that uh, that made an investment in South America in Brazil. Uh, to grow ethanol, you know, to produce ethanol using corn in Brazil, um, you know, and a lot, you know, it's been taken as kind of a, an interesting kind of out-of-the-box idea, uh, but now when you look at it with the way uh, the situation's been going here in the United States, uh, you know, getting cheap corn in any way you can if you're an ethanol producer is probably the number one concern, you know, going on in the months ahead. Um, you know, who knows where the price is going to be, obviously, but when you have that opportunity as an ethanol producer uh, to get cheaper corn, uh, especially at a time, and we're talking margins that are 50, you know, our model at DTN shows margins have been in the negative uh, 50 cents and beyond here in the past several weeks. And so, uh, you know, while that's not a real-world real world scenario necessarily, 
it does show pressure, and a lot of that pressure is typically from the price of corn. Meanwhile, we're learning more and more about how EPA has been granting those uh, small refinery exemptions to the RFS, and some talk that maybe the administration is finally going to step in and uh, make some changes with that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Mike. Uh, last week there was, a, there was a FOIA request that was made by a Renewable Fuels Association actually months and months ago uh, wanting documents that related to how the EPA looks at small refinery waivers. And part of that release talked about an advisor at EPA who had warned Scott Pruitt at the time um, to not issue these waivers uh, and that it was contrary to, to policy and all these things. Uh, you know, and there's been a lot of talk uh, about why it was happening all of a sudden. Uh, you know, there was all this, this legal argument that it, it had something to do with court actions. Uh, and this document that came out last week uh, pretty much, it, you know, it speaks to the contrary. Uh, it definitely was concerns about quid pro quo and those sorts of things. Uh, so I think now the agency under Wheeler is is under you know they have been under a lot of pressure on this on this one particular aspect of the RFS and I think you're gonna you know we're hearing rumblings anyway that the, the administration is looking at it closer since uh, you know the president's visited to Council Bluffs here recently uh, you know he got an earful from a couple of farmers there about how it's hurting hurting the industry and I think. Um, you know, even some hint that Wheeler's looking at that now is probably a better situation than what we've had. You know, uh, it's been pretty closed off as to what the agency was uh, was doing on this front. Well, meanwhile, on another topic, the re- the controversial relocation of uh, two federal uh, research agencies to the Kansas City region. Well, that's not controversial in the Kansas City region. They're they're happy and excited about that. We'll be talking about that on tomorrow's program. Uh, but meanwhile, as we look at the ag appropriations process going on in Congress right now, there's still a move to try to block that relocation. Yeah, you know, Mike, it was interesting when uh, Sonny Perdue, uh, you know, had an, an employee, all-hands employee meeting uh, when that announcement was made. Uh, there were some internal protests. You know, people were turning their backs on, on the ag secretary as he was speaking. Uh, you know, there's a segment of the, in those in those agencies. Uh, they want to stay in D.C. for, for a lot of reasons. Um, and so I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because, obviously, these are two areas of USDA that need funding. Uh, you know, research is a big deal. Um, and so I think whatever comes out of, out of the appropriations process, either way, it's going to have to have some funding because, you know, we're not only talking about the research aspect of it, but we're talking about the employees, you know, whether they're going to live in Kansas City or D.C. or wherever the case may be. Um, you know, it's it's a political, it's a real political uh, tough situation because uh, these agencies, obviously, they, they perform an important function. Um, and certainly at this point in time in agriculture, I guess we really don't need any more pressure coming from from any uh, particular situation yeah so we watch the ag appropriations process because there is uh, language in there that would still block uh, the the move so that uh, yeah that controversy continues and it's it's not over yet and and real quick uh, Todd uh, all eyes will be on that g20 meeting coming up uh, hopes rise again that maybe something will get worked out with China yeah, I mean, it's, you know, any time, you know, we saw the market actually spike when the president uh, had said that he's having additional meetings uh, with the Chinese leadership. And I think, 
uh, you know, we're kind of all sitting here with bated breath, you know, looking for that for that big agreement to come through. I think, if anything, just to improve the morale among the agriculture sector. I mean, it's, it's a time where we need some good news, and so hopefully we'll see something. And once again, the carrots kind of dangled out there. We have another meeting that we uh, anticipate and watch and see what happens. All right. Thank you, Todd. Good to talk with you. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Well, up next, still lots of questions on prevent plant acres and uh, also cover crops. And now a possibility of maybe being able to graze those, uh, those acres with cover crops sooner than November 1. That's a possibility USDA is looking at. Still lots of questions around this whole situation. We're going to talk with U of I, University of Illinois, ag economist Scott Irwin next on AOA. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, right now I want to talk about beef trade. Joining us is Kent Backus, Senior Director of International Trade for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, thanks for joining us. Uh, bring us up to date on where we're at with the European Union. Now, they're going, to, they're going to accept more U.S. beef, right? But what are the details on this? Well, Mike, that's the, that's the big question is, uh, yes, we've seen the plans and we've seen this announcement come out, but this is not implemented. And I think that's important for everyone to remember that we can't uh, start popping champagne bottles just yet because the good news is is that the, the Europeans have agreed to a, a U.S.-specific quota of 35,000 metric tons. But the concern is whether it will actually be implemented and when. So we're very supportive of this step forward. We think it's a, a, it's a nice step forward. It's certainly welcome news, but we can't celebrate just yet. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. 
Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, unfortunately, prevent plant acres have dominated conversation this year. So many questions around them. Some tough decisions have had to be made, and uh, there's still tough decisions and questions out there. Let's talk about it with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Scott, it seems like... uh, the further along this year we go, the more questions we have on on some of these planting decisions and what can be done with some of these acres and how to take care of them and what are the options. Well, we really are into uncharted territory, Mike, as far as the magnitude of prevent planting. Uh, I think, to me, what illustrates just the really unprecedented nature of the situation is I saw an article that our um, crop production specialist, Emerson Nafsinger, put out this week uh, through the University of Illinois uh, about management of prevent plant acres. You know, at this time of year, uh, our crop production specialists are usually talking about, you know, how to manage the growing crop, uh, not what to do with prevent plant acres. Yeah, so now there's been... (laughs) new situations arise you know we talk about cover crops uh, is there enough seed for the cover crops uh, for these acres what how do you manage those acres usda supposedly looking now at maybe allowing uh haying and grazing on the, those acres before november 1st but they're not sure they can make that move to allow that and there's some uh, efforts in congress uh, to kind of push that along so this is just kind of a uh, a moving target here so many things happening on these acres Absolutely. It's like just kind of learn something surprising every day. I guess when you think about it, it this makes sense. But as I understand it, you can uh, actually plant beans as a cover crop, uh, so long as you don't harvest it for grain. So you may see corn or soybeans out in the field. Uh, they will obviously be really small, uh, but you don't have any idea if that's uh, truly uh grown for grain or just uh, a cover crop so it's going to be kind of crazy all the way till fall when we get uh, finally some hard data on what's uh, really been turned in for prevent plant do you think the and as we wait for that do you think the real impact the magnitude of this situation has really uh, fully been realized yet no I don't believe so I think that the, the trade is um, on corn, uh, still well below 10 million acres in terms of the total reduction in corn acres versus our 92.8 million from the March prospective plantings report. And to give you an idea, I'm, I think the total of 
prevent plant failed acres and switching to soybeans will be someplace between 10 and 15 million acres. I've said that for a month, and I still think that that's uh, a good range uh, to look for, and I, I don't believe that the market has fully uh, absorbed that yet. Yeah, we're trying to put everything into context now. So when USDA comes out this week and says 92% of the corn crop planted, is that 92% of what was intended to be, to be planted or 92% of what can be planted? Or what does that 92% really mean? That is a great question this week. Um, here's the way I put it, Mike. We can be 100% confident now that 92% does not mean 92% of what people think it means. Uh, let <laughs> me explain. <laughs> that yeah. the USDA um planting progress system is set up with the end goal in mind. That is, every observer in every county is supposed to get eventually to 100% planted. That's the system. They track percent planted. So if more corn acres are planted than expected, they have to adjust the base in their county for corn acres up. And if less is planted, they have to adjust it down at some point as they go through the season. This is baked into the system. It's always been this way, but it's never. no one's really paid much attention to that fact because there's usually really not that much variation in planted acreage from the prospective plantings numbers to the final. We always talk about them and obsess over them, but they're really not that big. So this is kind of a technical issue that you know no one really pays attention to. Well, this really matters this year because you know the Lance Honig, the chief of the uh, USDA NAS Crop Statistics Division, made this clear this week. Uh, Michigan included this in one of their in their crop progress report this week. You know. We know now for a fact that the corn planting progress numbers are, if you like to put it this way, inflated by accounting for prevent plant. Um, we know Michigan said that their 21% uh, increase in corn planted acres they reported was all prevent plant. So we know that 92% of the 92.8 million acres of corn have not been planted. That, that is a certainty. I don't even think the market has really figured that entirely, but that is a certainty. The question is, okay, what's the real number? And there we're just guessing. My Myself, um, I just say, you know, we reported 9% corn planting progress in the U.S. last week. Uh, I uh, didn't think that that many acres could really get planted that late in June. So I just split the difference. I say that where we're really at is, someplace around 87 or 88 uh, percent in terms of the actual corn acres planted. I think that's probably reasonable where we're at now, and that, that means that we've got 12 million acres that I don't think are ever going to be planted. We're talking with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. You know, Scott, we're not used to this. Uh, in With all of our technology and all of, uh, you know, all of the resources we have, we kind of feel like we have a pretty good handle on what's going on out there, and that's why we 
we we disagree sometimes with the government reporting because we feel we have better information or more accurate or up-to-date information. We always quibble about all that. But this is, uh, as you said, uncharted territory to have this much of an unknown, especially this late into the year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we are not going to really be able to get a good handle on just something as basic as planted acreage of corn, in my opinion, probably till October. Uh, the June acreage report that will be coming out uh, at the end of this month is going to give us a, some hard data on it, but the survey period for that um, survey overlaps this period when people were making for much of the Corn Belt prevent plant decisions. So whatever that number is reported, it's not going to be nearly as accurate as what we're used to in the past. And, you know, we're just not going to know until we are able to get that key data, which is the total for prevent plant acreage. Meanwhile, in a year where we really need to catch up, uh, the weather's still not cooperating. Uh, we're not getting that uh, the heat to help us uh, kind of uh, play catch up. So here we are, 19th of June, and it's still cool and many places wet. Uh, what are your yield projections at this point? Yeah, well, sitting here in the eastern Corn Belt, it's kind of like build us an arc. Uh, it's what it feels like. Um, you know... That's obvious that there's going to be a huge range of possibilities for this crop. Uh, I think if we get lucky, and we've had some really lucky late planting years in the past, remember the year that we tend to focus on is 1996, um, we ended up with near trend line yields. Uh, but in most years, uh, when we plant this late, we're not that lucky. So... Most people are someplace around, I think, 165 to 168 uh, for the U.S. average yield right now. And I think that's a pretty reasonable place to be right now. But there's, I would say, some room to go up. I think that, you know, we would have to really draw an inside straight on the weather the rest of this year in order to get to the low 170s. And we don't have to have a lot go wrong from here on out to be uh, below that mid-160s. All right, Scott, uh, thank you for your perspective. Uh, what a year, and we'll keep, to, we'll keep talking as we get more information about some of these issues. Thank you so much. Always my pleasure, Mike. University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Well, next, we'll take a look at market reaction to all this, and are, they, are the traders you know, fully grasping this situation yet, or is that going to hit them at some point? And if so, when? We'll talk about that with Rich Morrison with Diversified Services. That's coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. 
Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Hog futures at the Merck have been trending lower due to an abundance of supplies available on the U.S. market as demand from China has been a little bit less than expected by traders. But news that President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping have agreed to meet at the G20 summit, giving the futures a little bit of a boost on this Wednesday, according to the Wire Talk. Today's hog slaughter estimated at 477,000 head, steady with the week ago, but much higher than last year's 436,000 head. July lean hogs up 27 cents, 81.75 an hour into the trading day. Live cattle futures, June down 15 at 109.30, August up 22 at 105.77. Feeder cattle August up 35 at 137.60. Cash cattle bid seen at 109 live in Texas early on Wednesday. For the grain and oil seed sector, a defensive tone. Corn futures trending 4 to 6 cents lower. July extended lower yesterday, marking out a short-term top and resistance at Monday's high at 4.64 and a quarter. An hour in on this Wednesday, we're at 4.45 and a quarter, down 4.5. Chart support seen at 4.38. New crop December corn at 4.56 and a quarter, down 6 and three quarters. July soybeans down a nickel at 9.08 and a half. November 9.34 and three quarters, down 5 and a half. More losses in the wheat futures. Chicago wheat July down 10 and a half at 521. Kansas City July down 9 at 456 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat July down 8 and three quarters, 543 and a half. September down 8 cents at 550 and three quarters. On Wall Street, the Dow up 43. NASDAQ down 3, S&P flat. July crude oil down 36 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. 800-955-4538. 
Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk more about market reaction to this challenging crop year of 2019. Rich Morrison, Senior Risk Analyst for Diversified Services, joins us. Rich, when we we talk about all the prevent plant acres and uh, crops behind that are planted and still forecast, it's uh, in some places not real good. I think a lot of people wonder why the market hasn't gone up more than it has. So what is the market looking at and why aren't we seeing an even stronger upside than we're seeing right now? Well, that's a pretty good question. I think a lot of us are, uh, tend to be a little bit friendly right now. Of course, we've, uh, we're well off the lows that we had early this spring. And uh, I, I think we're just in a process of taking a deep breath here, uh, getting a bit of a correction today. Uh, I've always learned that a lot of these corrections uh, in a bull market take uh, place in, in sets of three. So today is kind of the third day that the market has traded back uh, off of the highs, and maybe we're setting ourselves up for the next little bit of move to the upside. Uh, that's kind of what I think we're, we're doing right now. Uh, I, I think we're just taking a breath and trying to figure out how many acres are uh, did not get planted uh, these crop progress reports, uh, like the one we had on Monday, uh, kind of put more questions than answers in our head because we're trying to figure out what, what percentage of what number they're talking about. And so a lot of questions floating around the market right now. Let me ask it this way. If in late winter or very early spring someone had said to you, we're going to take out whatever number, so many million acres of uh, of that won't be planted. They're going to just not get planted at all. And in some key areas, uh, you know, in the heart of, of, of the Midwest, and they said to you, okay, in that scenario, what do you think the corn price would be? Would it be higher or lower than where we're at right now, you think? Well, I, I would have said we could put a five in front, front of the market fairly mm-hmm. easily given that circumstance. So I, I guess I would go with higher. I, I tend to think that... Uh, you know, at some point, we're going to have to do the work of rationing some demand then. Uh, that'll be the next uh, step. Uh, right now, most of the focus is on acres and, and production. But uh, but then going forward, we're also going to be talking demand. We can't use 14 billion bushels of corn, uh, given the uh, uh, what it looks like present uh, production might look like. So I, I think uh, they'd probably say higher at this point. Mm-hmm. So you see this kind of just keep incrementally moving forward this year uh, and then when we start focusing on yield and if we see continued wet conditions and problems even in the what has been planted then that that adds to that right oh absolutely uh you know the, the one thing i kind of go back in history and i can remember the markets of the 90s that you know in wet conditions we don't tend to see these blow-off type markets uh, we've seen them in, in drought conditions certainly uh, it's pretty easy to kill a crop but when you're Getting rain, even if it's too much rain, uh, assuming it's in the ground, uh, it, it's hard for 
the market to want to just blow off the top side when there's rain. So that uh, might lend more of this uh, slow trade, uh, slow type of move, rather than a, a blow-off market like we tend to see in a drought year. You know, that's interesting. I, I've seen some conversation about that because you're right. The feeling is, you know, you're more apt to have a crop, obviously, with uh, too much water than, than no water. But, you know, even in drought years, we've seen we've been able to grow some crop, uh, surprising yields. But when you have so much water that acres don't get planted, period, well, they're not going to produce. So that, that changes that scenario somewhat this year. It absolutely does, and so, you know, every analyst out there is trying to work on their spreadsheets right now and figure, you know, and making a lot of assumptions and putting numbers in that if this happens and this happens, then here's what you're going to have left, and and uh, I think we'll get a little bit of a, maybe a little light shed on that here at the end of next week when USDA puts out its planted acreage report. Uh, you know, that said, those surveys were done early this month when a lot of acres were still intended to get planted, so... You know, you have to take some of that with a grain of salt. And, uh, but, uh, but so, yeah, at this point, everybody's just plugging numbers in the spreadsheets and trying to figure out what it all means. We keep trying to compare this to normal, and this year is anything but normal. It's, uh, it's certainly been an incredible year. Uh, it, uh, you know, you just assumed all along that we'll get a dry period, we'll get an opportunity to get this crop in the ground. Uh, you know, we probably passed up some windows in April thinking, well, it's too wet right now. We'll wait. We'll get another chance. And it's just uh, none of us uh, can remember a, a year like this where you just in some areas did not ever get that chance. We're talking with Rich Morrison, analyst with Diversified Services. Okay, Rich, uh, let's take a look at the soybean scenario. We came into this year talking about all the, the stocks we had. Uh, let's talk about cutting into that. Uh, what do you see happening? Well, you know, soybeans are the, the crop that we really needed to back off on acres, if, if you want to call it that, this year. And so uh, I'm not sure yet if we know how much of that might happen. But, uh, it, it, you know, there was probably three weeks ago, there was a lot of talk about increasing bean acres when we were going to reduce some corn acres. And so a lot of folks in the trade were bumping up their bean numbers, a half million, million, million and a half acres. And now here we are maybe either in the other direction uh, towards dropping a few acres. Uh, you know, the, 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 the spreadsheets all tell us that we can, we can take two, three, five million acres out of bean production this year with a decent yield and still have the second biggest carryout we've ever had. So there's not as near as much reason for this bean market to trade higher as there is the corn market here going forward. All right, so... The farmer that's trying to figure out how to market this year, if they have something to market, uh, what are you telling them? I, I think this is the, the poster child year for, for minimum price type contracts, for option-based contracts, uh, You know, whether it's minimum price, whether it's a min-max type contract, something like that, uh, tie an option to the, to the sale. Uh, because you know we've shown this market has the ability to move a lot more than what you're spending in option premium. Uh, in some years past, you know, the last four to five years, that hasn't necessarily been the case. We haven't had new volatility potential in the market. This year, it's a little different. And if you can get to a level where you can lock in what you think is the desired profit and still leave yourself, uh, you know, the ability to have some upside potential as the market keeps moving, I, I think that makes a lot of sense this year. And 
we've seen the market, you know, this corn market especially, reach into an over overbought situation a couple of times lately, and you know those are the types of windows that we would look to try to put some sales on and either a cover it with a call at that point or b wait for a setback and and uh, maybe buy call options. But I, I think this is the type of market where call options make a lot of sense. What's your outlook for the wheat market? Well, the wheat market uh, probably going to depend on harvest uh, weather here going forward. That's probably the biggest uh, biggest uh, market factor. Uh, we backed this uh, market off the last couple of days. Uh, I guess maybe an improved weather forecast for the plains. And, uh, that's going to at least give us a better window uh, to get some of this wheat harvest up and rolling. We've got too much wheat in the U.S., and we've got too much wheat in the world. So, you know, we've known that for some time, yet we rallied Kansas City and Chicago wheat over a dollar a bushel. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but probably a, been a good opportunity to take advantage of. Might still be a good opportunity, even where we're at right now, over 450 on July uh, Kansas City wheat. The one that uh, I look at the charts and it really sticks out right now that the 200-day moving average in, in wheat has been a, a ceiling on this market since clear back in early last fall. And so and we bumped up within a couple of pennies of it here uh, three, two three weeks ago. Uh, we bumped up again early this week, not too far from it. And that's uh, probably going to keep a lid on us here for, for the foreseeable future uh, as we have harvest start to pick up. I just get the feeling, Rich, in what this whole uh, conversation, what we described is, as we look through this summer and into the fall, uh, we're just kind of feeling our way, and everything is uh, so much right at the edge and, you know, so sensitive that uh, one bit of news one way or another, weather or a report or something is going to come out and could just move things pretty dramatically one way or the other. Well, I think that's true. I think especially in the corn market, uh, that's the one we're really talking about, that, that we knew coming into coming into winter and spring this year that corn was probably more sensitive than the other two markets, uh, uh, just because of the uh, the carryover that we had, and so um, and, and you know maybe not talking about a big chunk of acres, but we knew we had plenty of soybeans, we knew we had plenty of wheat. Uh, corn was the, the market that that looked like if there was ever going to be a story this year, it was probably going to be in corn, and that's how it's kind of developed. It looks like so. Uh, yeah, I, I think some of these acreage numbers, from what I understand, uh, we're probably going to have to wait till August before we get some real acreage numbers, I guess. Uh, you know, this June report next week may not give us the full uh, uh, full scope of what was reduced. But, uh, but we're, you know, it's going to take some time to really see uh, a lot of these uh, report numbers and how they, how they come out. Yeah, it's kind of amazing how this has played out. So much of this year we focused on trade issues, which are still critically important. But those have become more long-term issues, and now we're, our attention is more dominated with the short-term, that is the production uh, of this year's uh, crops and the challenges there. So what a year, what a roller coaster this is becoming. Rich, as always, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Yep, thank you, Mike. Rich Morrison, he's Senior Risk Analyst for Diversified Services. Well, we're still trying to get a real handle on the scope of African swine fever. We know it's been devastating in China and now in Vietnam. Uh, what's the chances of it spreading beyond those two countries? What's being done to keep it out of the United States? We're going to get an update from the chief veterinarian of the National Pork Producers Council. Liz Wagstrom joins us next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today. 800-745-3327. 800-745-3327. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110 and I had a stroke and I'm 33 so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it or talk with your doctor to create an exercise diet and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell Brought to you by the American Heart Association American Medical Association and the Ad Council Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate cook The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... Talking with Maggie Elowani with the National Rural Health Association. Maggie, you talked about the number of rural hospitals closing. Are we also seeing uh, mergers, takeovers uh, happening uh, within the uh, rural hospital system as well? We certainly are, and there's been an increase in mergers, and, and some of those have been very positive. They've helped some small rural providers with the cash flow they need to keep their doors open have purchased some of these facilities only to close them a short time afterwards. So simply being bought out and merging with another facility doesn't mean that we're going to be able to ensure access to care in those rural communities. So we really need kind of a long-term strategy of really thinking about 
why these hospitals are closing and what we need to do to change them. And it's because there have been so many different cuts that have occurred to these hospitals. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back for an update on African swine fever. We turn to Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council. Liz, thanks for being with us. Uh, we're hearing, uh, you know, we'd heard for some time that it spread to Vietnam, and it sounds like it's really spreading throughout Vietnam. What's, what's the latest you can tell us? You bet. It is spreading wildly throughout Vietnam. They're very transparent with the information they're sending out. So last we heard that they have... Um, depopulated about two and a half million pigs. So um, it's a country with about 30 million pigs produced every year. So so significant numbers for them. Um, numerous small farms. You know, they have a lot of small farms, but also looking that it may be in some of their commercial production. Has it spread um, beyond also, China and Vietnam? Has it spread beyond those two has, countries? Yep. You know, we've had reports from North Korea also Laos and Cambodia, um, obviously Taiwan is very concerned. You know, so the, the whole Southeast Asia area is, is at risk from, from the spread of this virus. And what's, I know it's hard to get information out of China, but what are you hearing there? Do they feel that they're even close to having it under control? The government reports that they have... Um, um, lifted many of the quarantines and movement restrictions because they have certain areas that they say now have been cleared up. But we're hearing um, otherwise from those who are over there, either um, knowing producers there or, or um, working in groups over there, that it's still widespread. Um, you know, we hear from estimates, whether it's from Rabobank or from feed manufacturers, that you know, they expect somewhere between 25 and 35 percent of the um, herd in um, in China is gone. And to put that in perspective, if they lose up to the 50 percent that they've talked about, um, that would be more animals than we produce in the entire United States. They already um, we estimates are already higher that they have lost more animals um, than all of the poor 
work that's exported by both the rest of the global economy um, combined. So you combine Europe, South America, and um, United States, North America, um, and what we export would be less than what it's anticipated that China has already lost. Staggering numbers. So what are they doing to try to prevent? Obviously, what they're doing to try to contain it and and stop it is not working. I mean, are they doing everything they can, or are there some other things still that could be done? Sure. Well, we hear that, you know, they have tried to put movement restrictions in. They worked on regionalization. They are now allowing and actually encouraging people to test their herds, which before was difficult to get accomplished. They are also encouraging and, um, in fact, requiring packing plants to test incoming animals and to test product. Um, so they're trying to take some additional steps where I think um, you, know, you have to know what's positive and where they are before you can really take steps, and, and that had been somewhat um, difficult to get done under the previous rules. You know, it's really hard to know if what they're trying to do now will get it under control. There was discussion a week or so ago that somebody thought they had a some sort of a compound that might help prevent infection, and the Chinese government quickly issued a press release saying that, you know, there's um, they've not um, issued any permits for people to work on that kind of a compound, and there is no evidence that such a compound would have any effectiveness. So lots of conflicting information out of China, lots of concern that as it continues to spread throughout Southeast Asia, it just continues to increase the risk of it um, spreading to um, other continents via travelers. So what is the risk to the United States? You know, it's not zero, that's for sure. Uh, it is definitely a concern, and, you know, we need to make sure that we continue to um, watch our, the people entering our, our country, make sure that they're not bringing in illegal meat products, that they are not wearing contaminated clothes. We need to make sure our um, cargo is inspected. Um, and we continue to work on the issue of is there a risk and what what sort of risk is there and how, how could you mitigate it of any incoming feed or feed ingredients. We've been really active working with the um, American Feed Industry Association, National Grain and Feed, as well as USDA and FDA. Um, to try to answer those questions, we've got um, a industry working group that you know um, the government officials are you know um, invited to, and we are definitely working on steps to say what are the gaps we need to know and what are the actions we can take to fill those gaps um, and before we could consider any type of a, a regulatory action. But in the meantime, the industry has developed a lot of information sheets. You know, and this includes information about holding times, about virus half-life, things that could be helpful in producers and their veterinarians and nutritionists as they talk to feed companies. Those are all available on um, the Swine Health Information Center website, um, and they are, um, they are the best knowledge and the most up-to-date information we have. So you feel we're doing everything that we can to keep it out of the United are, States? Yeah, um, we are working full-time trying to make sure we are protecting ourselves. 
We're also working on being prepared. So in the um, event that we couldn't keep it out of the United States, that there were to be an outbreak, how can we uh, identify it early and how can we best respond? So under early identification, USDA just announced they um, have expanded the uh, surveillance program. So um, laboratory submissions to the state diagnostic labs that might be have signs that could be ASF, but we know they also could be salmonella are now being tested for ASF. Yeah, so you have to work on prevention and also in case that doesn't work, uh, also response in case it ever does get here. So it's it's a, certainly a critical issue, a battle that uh, we're keeping close watch on. And Liz, thank you for the update. Thank you, Mike. Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.